This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. So this morning, we've been given the task to complete this something fruity sermon series. And we've been discussing for the last nine weeks the writing of Paul to the church at Galatia where he's given what a fruitful life would look like. We talked about nine weeks ago when we started this journey, and we've continued to talk about it. I feel like I've reminded you probably till you could give this introduction that we're a people that our faith has been rooted down. The Lord showed us that our our faith has been rooted, and, and we believe that through this series of conversations, the Lord has challenged us to allow our faith to be put to work. And we've talked through the last nine weeks of the different characteristics that would describe a fruitful life living as the Holy Spirit leads. We've gone through each one of these characteristics individually, and we've talked about the love, the joy, the peace. We've talked about the patience, the long-suffering. We've had all these different conversations. We've talked about the kindness, the gentleness. We've gone through each one, and we've talked about different seasons of life, and all of these summed up, every one of these definitions, every one of the definitions of these words basically took us back to Godness. We've talked about the, the love, and the true definition of love is God. God's love for us is, is the true definition of what love is. We talk a lot about loving different things and loving food and loving a cheeseburger and even loving your spouse. But that love that we have never really can do justice. The true terminology, the true definition to the word love that God has for us. We've gone through each one of these in this entire series, this entire set of conversations. As we've talked about each different characteristic of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the life that we would live would be fruity. Every one of them goes back to godliness. Every one of them goes back to to God himself. We've talked about God being a patient God. We've talked about God being a kind God. We've talked about him being good. Just the definition of good itself is God. And so we've gone through each one of these, and then we come to this last characteristic that Paul gives, and he says that the the last thing that you should do, the last last attribute that our life should have is self-control. When we think of self-control, the the Holy Spirit dropped it in in my heart just a few minutes ago that this is completely different than every other conversation we've had. Because all of these other attributes point directly to God. They all point to directly who God is. Self-control in no way whatsoever, no way, shape, or form points to who God is. It doesn't even point to how God treats us. It doesn't even point to how God directs us and guides us. Because we serve a God who gives us the choice. We serve a God who puts the act of self-control on our shoulders. So this conversation is completely different than everyone that has preceded it so far. 
I want to read uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This morning I am reading out of the English Standard Version, so if it looks a little different, I'll explain to you in a minute what we're doing. But Paul said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. To really understand self-control, we have to understand what control is. So the simple definition for control is to exercise restraining or directing influence over something or someone. To have power over. So self-control would simply be to exercise restraining or directing power or to have power over oneself. You have the control. Self-control is so important. It seems like it should be a no-brainer that we really wouldn't have to have this conversation. We want to think that we may all have self-control, but I don't know if you've ever tried to lose a little weight, but um, maybe you learned a little bit about self-control or the lack thereof, right? I'm just being real. Self-control is a very real thing, and it's not a no-brainer. Here's a decision that has to be made that actually takes some effort on your and I part. Self-control is important. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man, said in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into, left without walls. That tells me that my self-control is absolutely vital to my life. Because if, if a man, he, he describes it in this way, that a man without self-control is like a city not only that's broken into, so not only do when I, when I lack self-control, do I open myself up to be kind of wrecked and messed up on the inside. He said the city's been broken into, but not only was it broken into, it was left with broken down walls. So when we lose self-control, it's not only an instant situation, and it's not only an instant action that takes place against us, but it leaves this standing situation, it leaves this openness to us for a future. Because a city that's been broken into and now left without walls means that somebody can walk in and out anytime they want to. So when you and I make a decision not to exercise self-control, it opens us up not only to the right now moment, but to the future until it takes us whatever time it does to build our walls back up to protect ourselves again. Self-control is important. Peter thinks enough of self-control to list it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. He, he lists it as one of the attributes that supplements faith. He says, let your faith uh, make every effort that you supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. So Peter has put this idea of self-control right on up the line with faith itself. And it tells me that my faith is not good enough alone. That's the whole point of this whole conversation, right? That's the whole point of this entire series that we've walked through is, is my faith alone is no good. James even says that your faith alone is not even a salvation-producing faith. He said there's got to be more. Your faith has to be put to work. Your faith has to have something come out of it to give life. And so Peter says, he's just reinforced that fact when he says that faith by itself is not enough. Supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. So he's put it up there on the list. I started thinking about controls. Everything in life has a control. I really couldn't think of anything that does something. The pew may not have a control, but the pew doesn't do anything. It sits there. 
this microphone that powers up and, and it amplifies my voice. It sends this crazy signal back to the back and it goes through the speakers. There's so many different controls that take place from out of my mouth to where you hear it is crazy. The first one's a power button. You think of your car. When you go to get in your car, you have to put a key into the ignition. That control starts the engine. After the engine started, you've got a gear shifter that controls what gear the transmission's in. After you get the transmission in drive, then you've got your gas pedal and your brake pedal and your steering wheel that controls where the car goes. If you do not go put your car or your key in the ignition, is the car going to move without you? No. It takes the control. I thought of the TV. And TVs now have a remote control. And if you want to see anything different, if you want that volume any different than what it is, if, if they're anything like most of them now, they're hanging up on a wall, so they're kind of aggravating to deal with buttons, your remote control is how you control it. Even if you go push the buttons, the buttons are the control. It don't change itself. You have to control it. These lights, we come in this morning and we flipped on a switch. Until we flipped the switch, the lights were not coming on. The power source was already to the light. It was to the switch. The supply was there, but until we flipped the switch, until we manually took that control and, and put it to use and controlled it, the lights didn't come on. Everything in life that does something is controlled. You and I are no different. You and I are no different. And these verses of scriptures that I read to you are actually a response to a previous thought that Paul has given in a few verses up above it. And I want to read this to you, verses 16 through 18 in Galatians chapter 5. It says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I learned five important truths in these two verses that I want to share with you about self-control. First of all, we see from the beginning that walking or living in the Spirit is a choice. We have control. I know that because Paul's even having this conversation. The whole book, this letter that he's wrote to the churches at Galatia is all about restoring their godliness. It's all about bringing them back to God, bringing them back to the place that they were. So he says, walk in the Spirit. So that tells me, first of all, they're not walking in the Spirit. And then it also tells me that by him saying walk in the Spirit, not only are they not currently walking in the Spirit, but Paul has enough confidence in them to say, hey, walk in the Spirit. They have a choice to do that. So we can establish right off the bat that walking in the Spirit of God, walking in this is a choice. We're either going to be sin-controlled or spirit-controlled because you and I are controlled by something. Unfortunately, it's not self. You're not directly controlled by yourself. Maybe we think we are. But Paul told me right here, walk in the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He said they oppose each other and they keep you from doing what you want to do. They keep you from carrying out your good intentions. 
Therefore, you and I don't get control over self. Well, then how do we get told to have self-control? Because what we're actually controlled by is sin or spirit. The choice that you and I get is do we allow my flesh or do I allow the spirit to control my life? In an instant of a situation, when something happens and you have a moment's time to make a decision, we feel like we have control and we're making the decision, but the decision that we're actually making has already been made because our life that we're living has decided for us whether we're going to live in by sin or whether we're going to live by the Spirit. That decision's already been made long before you get to the instance, the, the moment of time that the decision has to be made. So the decision that we're making has already been influenced by the, the control over our life. Does that make sense? You with me? You sure? I also understand that walking or living in the Spirit isn't a decision that gets made once for a lifetime. The day that I chose to follow Jesus was not the last time that I have to decide who's going to control me. As a matter of fact, when I woke up yesterday morning and I decided that I was going to do my best to live a Spirit-filled life and I was going to walk in the Spirit, that was not the last time that I have to make that decision of what's going to control me. As a matter of fact, every morning that we wake up, when you get up, hell kind of trembles a little bit, I hope, and heaven kind of likes, like, oh boy, he's up, let's do this. And, and there's a decision that has to be made. One pastor said it, it's like a boxing ring. And when you wake up in the morning, in this corner, ding, 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 you have sin control. And in this corner, ding, 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 you have spirit control. And many of us, for 50 days, have been allowing sin control to reign over our life. And many of us have kind of got sidetracked, and maybe we don't even realize that it's a decision that has to be made. So we've allowed ourselves to become controlled by this, this sin, our flesh. Maybe it's not some off-the-wall terrible sin. I'm not saying you go out and you, you, you commit all these horrible sins. I'm saying that your flesh, what you want, your physical desires, are taking over what God would want for you. It may be that simple. Don't exclude ourselves just because of the word sin. Paul says your flesh and your spirit. So when we wake up in the morning, there's a decision that has to be made. Literally almost daily. The Lord's mercies renew each morning. Why wouldn't my decision of who's going to control me need to renew each morning? And the decision that we're given, the self-control that we get to hold, the, the remote that we get to handle... The decision we get to make is, are we going to do our best? Are we going to strive to live by what the Spirit would want for us today? Or are we going to kind of be relaxed and lay back and just kind of sit back and let our flesh drive the day? Either way, walking in the Spirit is a choice. Second thing I learned is walking in the Spirit doesn't keep the flesh from desiring what the flesh wants. The day that you got saved, the day that I got saved, the day that I chose to follow Jesus, the desires of the flesh didn't stop. 
I've heard young people say that are trying to do right, they're trying to live right, they're ready to get married because the lust of the flesh would stop. Wrong. One pastor said, I didn't go blind when I got married. Just because we walk in the Spirit doesn't mean that the desires of the flesh cease. Paul said, walk in the flesh and you will not gratify the desires. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That tells me that the desires of the flesh still exist. They're not going anywhere. And I chose to read this out of the English Standard Version because I believe it was a little more accurate than maybe the New King James when it says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. The New King James says, fulfill the desires. The desires are, are there. And if I don't gratify them, then I don't give them any little bit of attention whatsoever. I don't even dibble-dabble a little bit when I'm walking in the Spirit. The control's already been made and the decision's been made to give control to the spirit of life. Therefore, even though they exist, I don't have to give in. Don't you agree that being a Christian would be really easy if it weren't for our flesh? Right? Being a Christian would be cake if I didn't get aggravated with people. Right? Being a Christian would be easy if other people didn't do something that enticed me. Unfortunately, it don't work that way. Because you and I, even though we've accepted the Lord, and even though we're living in His will, we still live in a strange place. And Scripture tells us that we're aliens on this earth, meaning this isn't our home. We were created for more. We were created to be in a better place. Therefore, just because we accept Jesus don't mean that the world disappears. And it doesn't mean that our flesh goes away either. Paul said that walking in the Spirit allows us not to gratify or satisfy the desires that we're presented with. The third thing I learned is you can't have both. Because Paul said... Walk in the Spirit so that you don't gratify or satisfy or fulfill whatever word you want to put there, the desires of the flesh. He said, for the flesh opposes, the New King James says, lust after the Spirit, but it's, it's against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh, and they're contrary. They're opposite. They can't go together. Paul says there's no way that both of them can live. They can reside in the same place. There's no way that both of them can have control. Either the lights are on or they're off. Maybe you get a fancy little dimmer switch back there, but until that dimmer switch gets turned all the way down, the lights are still on. They may be dim, but they're on. You can't have both. Paul says that it, it don't work that way. They're against us. The light can't exist cohabitantly with the darkness and darkness doesn't stand a chance when there's light it don't work it creates a tug of war I kind of pictured this as I was putting this together I pictured my life and maybe you can picture yours waking up in the morning way too early 
And on one side of the tug-of-war rope, you've got this flesh-controlled life. And on the other side, you have this spirit-controlled life. And in the middle, you've got this big, muddy pit. And if you've ever played tug-of-war, if you haven't, maybe we need to set up a big, muddy pit. But if you've ever played tug-of-war, somebody's getting wet. If it's done correctly, and tug-of-war is set up correctly, somebody's getting wet. Somebody's getting dirty. You don't both get to win. Tug-of-war is not a participation game. It don't work that way. There's a winner, there's a loser. And so I picture this, this life, I picture, you know, you and me, and we wake up in the morning, and we have the choice of either to allow our flesh to control or our spirit to control, the, the Lord to control and direct our path. And there's this tug-of-war going on. You don't get to have two winners. You have a winner and you have a loser, and somebody gets dirty. So if I allow flesh to win and I allow sin, if I say, you know what, who cares today? And I'm going to live my life by, by my flesh. I'm going to live this sinful because even though it's not really this deep, intense sin, for me to be disobedient to God is sin. If I'm going to live my life and I'm going to let sin win today, then that means my spirit, man, that means the Holy Spirit is going to be harmed by what I do to him. As a Christian, he resides inside of me. And so if I allow my flesh man, if I allow sin to be controlled for, for today, then that means the spirit that is inside of me, the spirit of God that is inside of you and I has to deal with all the junk that I put him through because I made that decision. In the same sense, if I make the decision that spirit gets to control, then uh, it's awesome. Flesh gets to get nasty. Because God's going to drag him through the mud. He's going to drag him through the dirt. He's going to go through all this different junk and be put where he should be. But it, you can't have both. It don't work that way. The fourth thing that I learned was as long as we live out of control, you go nowhere. You ever felt like you were just spinning your wheels going nowhere? Chances are you had no control. You ever been stuck in a mud hole somewhere? In a ditch, you're stuck, you have no control. You go nowhere. And Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As long as no choice is made, as long as we don't wake up and say, Something's got to give, Lord, I give you control then we go nowhere. Even the opposite. If we wake up and say, God, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do it my way. Well, even at that point, you can go somewhere. It might be backwards, but you're going to go somewhere. As long as you're stuck in the, in the decision, as long as no choice is being made and you have no control, we're going nowhere. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I wrote this down below it. I said, we can have the best intentions making plans to prosper, but until we walk in the Spirit, giving him control, the Lord can't direct our steps or establish our way. I can make my plans, hopefully in accordance to what I believe God has for my life. Hopefully I, I, can, I can do this out of prayer and, 
and meditation on him and believing that I'm walking in what he has for me, I can make all the plans all day long. But until I've made the choice to give him control, he can't direct the steps to get me from point A to point B in my plan. We don't lose control necessarily of the destinations. I know my destiny. I know where I'm headed. I don't know how long it'll be before I get there. I have no idea how many mountains I got to climb, how many swamps I got to swim through. I have no clue what it will look like from here to there, but I know where I'm headed. Amen? But until I give God the control, until I make the decision to say, you know what, Lord, I decide today, for today, because I can't make the decision for tomorrow yet. I got to decide for today that whatever today brings, I'm going to allow your spirit to control my life. I'm going to do my very best to yield to your spirit to direct my path to take me toward that place that you've destined for me. Until we make that decision, we go nowhere. For us to have the life more abundantly that God wants us to have. We can't battle back and forth all day, every day. Jesus said, I came to give life, that you'd have life more abundantly. What in the world are we doing sitting back complacent, okay, that we ain't going nowhere? That defeats the purpose of why he came for you and for me. The fifth thing, the last thing that I learned from Paul is that walking in the Spirit brings a freedom like no other. Because Paul says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for flesh, the desires of the flesh against the Spirit, and the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, for these are opposite to each other, but you keep from doing the things you want. But verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. I'm going to be real with you because I'm just a simple-minded dude from Harnett County. That verse was interesting to me when I started studying this. Because in my mind, in the way that I've always been taught and what I believe many people that are related and connected to you and I believe, and I believe the way that the church taught this for so, so, so long, is that even though I've stepped into the adopted family of God, and even though I've taken my place as an heir to the kingdom right beside my big brother Jesus, even though I've received the grace from the Lord to be saved from a damnation in hell, even though all this has taken place, somehow still in the back of my mind, there's still a law that I'm bound to. You agree? You, you, you thought that way? I've told you about a friend that I've been talking to, that I've been ministering to, and his question one day was, was along the lines of, well, if I get saved, I'm trying to figure out how it's going to restrict and change my life. Because if we're not careful, 
just because of tradition or because of the way we're taught or maybe just because it's a lie straight from hell itself, we don't realize that when we accepted Jesus, we no longer are bound by the law. I can prove it because I would never come and say it if I couldn't. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. First Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law was not made, listen, the law was not made for a righteous person, but for lawless, insubordinate, ungodly, and sinners. The Old Testament law was not made for you and me in the first place. The day that you said yes to Jesus, the day that we accepted our salvation, the day that I said, hey, Father, thank you for accepting me into your family, I'm no longer under the law. Maybe that's not a big deal to you, but that means I have a freedom that I could get no other way. I have a freedom that I can't purchase. I have a freedom I can't earn. I have a freedom that, that is more than any other freedom I could ever get. And the only way that I get it is by accepting Jesus. I'm no longer bound by the minute for every decision, every dumb decision that I'm going to make. I'm thankful that I'm not bound down to the minute of every dumb decision that I'm going to make. And this is where it all ties back. And Paul has listed the, all these attributes of what the fruitful life of the Holy Spirit would look like. And lastly, he says, self-control. Because if self-control doesn't exist... And none of the other ones matter. You and I absolutely cannot love people. You can't love yourself and you can't love God if you don't make the decision to allow the Spirit to control your life. You absolutely cannot have the joy that the Holy Ghost would want to give to you if you don't allow the Spirit to control your life. You can't have peace that surpasses all understanding because it's given by God. He is peace. He gives Himself in all those situations. We cannot possess that peace unless we make the decision consciously. God, don't, don't make it for us. That's the difference with self-control. He, he's not going to tell you what you can and what you can't, what you are and what you're not going to do. He might beat you down and whoop your tail, but he's not physically going to make you do it. You can't have that peace until you make the decision. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. You can't be patient with people. You can't make it through your seed journey. The, the season we talked about, the, the long suffering where you feel like you've been planted and you don't have a clue who in the world planted you there and why you're stuck there. You can't make it through that season of life if you've not already made a decision to give the Spirit control. Kindness doesn't exist in your world, more or less your vocabulary. True kindness, the kind of kindness that God gives if the decision's not been made to walk in the Spirit. 
God is goodness. Goodness is Godness. That's a no-brainer. You don't get to have anything good. The true gifts that flow from the Lord. It don't happen the way that God wants it to happen. Oh, he's a good God. He's a gracious God. Maybe he has given you some good gifts. But I promise it's not to the fullest he wants to give them to you. Until you make the decision, I'm walking in the Spirit to give the Spirit control. To understand the faithfulness of who God is and the fact that while you and I were still mess-ups, while you and I were still sinners and he knew that there would be all these people throughout time that would never, ever turn to him, that would never accept him. He was faithful enough to you and I to still send his son. There's no way that we can truly understand that faithfulness and there's no way we can truly give that faithfulness back to him or back to other people until we've made a decision to walk in the spirit. to be gentle Paul the hard dude he was ready to kill every Christian he could come across had had gone to court to get the paperwork to do it talked about gentleness so much we saw a turning of him of his heart of his attitude the person that's made the decision to give spirit control has a gentle spirit. See, I have to be real with you now. all that kind of sort of was an intro to what the Lord really dropped on me weeks ago about self-control John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24 says but the hour is coming now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, what the Lord dumped on me, specifically for this house today, I'm not going to lie, I hesitated a little bit. believe wholeheartedly that we're a family of people that are choosing to live a spirit-controlled life. I don't doubt for a minute that as a family, that as a church family, that as a body, we're choosing, we're making that decision. I pray that you wake up every morning and this sermon was pointless up to this point, that you make the decision to live a spirit-controlled life, that you're walking in the spirit. But what the Lord dropped on me 
Self-control is just not about controlling what can't happen. And self-control is not all about controlling and keeping yourself from giving into the, the gratitude or the desire of sin. But you and me wake up with a decision every morning to exercise our self-control over our pride, over our opinions, over our struggles, to have the control to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Do we exercise it? Do we make the decision? I just have to be real. I wonder. of us have lost our self-control over our worship. How many of us have lost the attitude that we would lift up holy hands before the Lord? That's an action. It's no different than walking in the Spirit. God's not going to literally take my arms and raise them up. It don't work that way. He's not going to take my mouth and open it and flop my tongue so that I could sing praises to his name. It don't work that way. It doesn't even say that if I don't do that, he'll make the rocks cry out. It says that if I don't worship, the rocks will cry out. It still don't say he's going to make them. It just says they're standing in line to worship him. the decision that when it don't feel good when it don't even really make sense that we're worshiping in spirit and in truth would you stand with me our weaknesses, show us our shortfalls, show us that we have the strength through you, through our weakness you can be strong and through you the decision can be made to live this spirit filled life.
Maybe you have at some point, but you've fallen away. You left him. I promise he didn't leave you. He's right there waiting where you left him. If that's you this morning, could I ask that you just lift up your hand? You know you're not right with the Lord. pray this prayer with me as we just go back into our first roots our first works over again Jesus I'm a sinner I need you I recognize I can't do it without you and I need you I need your forgiveness I need your salvation Forgive me. Make me clean. Make me new. That I would never be the same. In Jesus' name. First of all, before we go any further, would you give the Lord a hand for the soul saved this morning? I know it's 12 o'clock. Let's be real. know that you can make a decision better tomorrow morning than you made yesterday in this past week to give the spirit control. Would you come and join me right here? I'm sorry, I'm not going to beat around it. I'm just going to be real. to choosing to walk in the Spirit. We understand that if we don't make a choice, we go nowhere. There's a reward that's so, so sweet in that decision. A freedom like we've never experienced before. So as I pray for you this morning, I want to ask that you just ask God to give you what you need. You commit yourself. You consecrate it in your heart. You make a decision to be bold enough tomorrow morning to wake up and say, God, I want to live a spirit-filled life. I want to be led by your spirit. Don't let it be about me. Don't let it be about anything I want. Let it be about you. Father, I thank you for your spirit this morning. God, I thank you that you're calling us to more. You're calling us deeper. God, and we stand here this morning, God, humbly, Lord. God, and I pray that you forgive us, God, for the times that we've walked by our own and we've walked by our flesh and we've been allowed ourselves to be sin-controlled, God, but we give ourselves back this morning, Lord, to commit to you that we want to be spirit-controlled. God, we understand the only control that we have over this life is whether we give it to you or whether we don't. 
God, and I pray each morning with your new mercies that are given every day, Father, I pray every morning when we wake up, the first thing that crosses our mind is, good morning, Lord, lead me today, guide me today, let me walk in your spirit every step that I take. Father, as we make our plans, direct our path, order our steps. Lord, but as the heart this morning was so clear, pray that our worship would be pure. God, that we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, that our outward worship would simply be evidence of the life and the walk that we've taken with you. Lead us, God. Hallelujah.